Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. I think as leaders, we've just got to pause for a second, listen to what's around us, just be aware of our environment. And I think we can solve problems much better that way. But at the end of the day, people are looking to leadership to, to be decisive. And I think that's really important. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's a great pleasure today to welcome Carla Hassan, the Global Chief Brand Officer of Citibank, here into the studio. Carla. Hi. Welcome. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Michael. I think we need to rename this show the Hassan Hassan Show. I don't know. It I just, think it's a great a, idea. There's a ring to it. I'm we happy have, to take this show on the road. <laughs> there you go. We could be frickin' frack. Totally. We could, we could do it. <laughs> Carla, truly, it's a pleasure to have you here and to be able to kind of pick your brain and, and really get inside of your head because I think it's clear to those who know you and hopefully now to our listening audience as they get to know you, you represent the best of the marketing community. Mm. You're an inspiration to so many. You last year came and spoke at our company meeting to right. inspire and to really tell a story and sitting there, everyone in my company at MediaLink was just thrilled to have the opportunity to listen to you tell your story. I want to talk a little bit about the business side mm -hmm. of life, and yeah. uh, of course, and I do want to delve into some of your personal motivations and some of your personal story. It's, it's so interesting. I do want to kick off with advice you can give our listening audience about really simple things like how does one become a better leader in 2020? Well, first of all, thank you for for your kind words. I mean, goodness, the opportunity to be able to to you know sort of talk to people and tell my story um, is is one of privilege, and so um, I feel very honored to be here talking to you. And you know, for me, as I think about leadership, I think about I draw on my own experiences, and I think people should also think about that and how experiences, both positive and negative, have kind of led them to where they are. And so for me, as I think about leadership in the future today and in the future, I think it's just, there's several things that come to mind. The first word I think for me is empathy. And I talk about that a lot because, and it's, to me, it's not an empathy, it's not an, an empty word or for me, not even an overused word. I think it's very real for me because to, to be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and understand what they're going through, how they're feeling, what their motivations are, I think for you as a leader becomes really important. You will learn a lot. You'll, um, it's humbling. It's a humbling experience to actually pause for a second and listen to somebody else and actually see where they're coming from so you can help them sort of address issues. And I think that goes beyond just leading people. I think it goes to leading businesses and leading brands and really kind of stopping and just listening to what is going on around you and being really attuned to it. it. It takes a lot of patience, to be honest, because I think we're going a million miles an hour. So I think as leaders, we've just got to pause for a second, listen to what's around us, just be aware of our environment. And I think we can solve problems much better that way. I also think that, again, both in personal and in business, for me, it's really important for leaders to have this mix of vision, but also practicality. 
So inspiring people today, particularly as you said, like everyone's going through so much and there's so much uncertainty and there's so much just negative negativity in the world and polarization in the world right now, the, the ability to actually get everybody together and see a vision that everybody agrees with, I think is critical, but very quickly from inspiration needs practicality. So how are we going to go get that done? And I think the best leaders have a combination of both, quite frankly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've always counseled people that one can't lead by consensus (laughs) because you have to be decisive. At some point you need to make a decision, but it's nice to try and build. And I don't mean nice in a kind of a, you know, yeah, lazy yeah. way. Hey, it's nice to do. Yeah, it's great if you can build consensus amongst your leadership, and as your That's as right. a leader. But at the end of the day, you got to make the decision to go yeah. left or go right, and you may not have a consensus. That's right. And you know what? I think people want you to do that. Like I've, you know, where I've fumbled in my life before as a leader, early on in my career when I first became a leader of people, was when I didn't make a decision. When I thought, oh, you know what? Let's, you know, get everybody to agree. Well, it's human nature. You're not going to get everyone to agree. What people want is clarity. So let's go. Like right. tell me what to, most people actually want to this is going to sound really counter to what, everything I just said, but most people want to be told what to do. Give at the them, end of the day. At the end of the day, right? Like give them the direction. They want to feel like they have a role in it, but they'll they'll agree to disagree and move past that so long as they feel like they had a chance to have a conversation and then you tell them what to do and they're like, I'm in or, or I'm out, <laughs> one well, or the other, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, you know, in my personal life, uh, my wife, Ronnie, lets me make very important decisions. <laughs> you know, where are we going to have dinner? The really important decisions, you know, where we're going to live, what yeah. we're going to do with our children. <laughs> I'm not involved in those. Or I, at least I'm involved, but I don't, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not the leader yeah. in those cases, but I'm a participant. But yeah. all kidding aside, people do ultimately want to be told. Listen, I and I, I think that that translates into life. It translates into work. I think people, again, they want to be a part of it. They want to feel like they had a say, but at the end of the day, people are looking to leadership to, to be decisive. And I think that's really important. So Carla, I've known you through not your entire career, but I've known you through the last several years of mm-hmm. your career. And when we first met, you were working with one of the great brands in the world with Pepsi yeah. in a senior chief marketing officer job and, yeah. you know, very high profile. And you made a turn and you made an interesting turn when you went to one of the great brands in history. And I've always continued that song from the original spot. I'm a Toys R Us kid. (laughs) I don't want to grow up. Um, That was an interesting turn for you to go from one of the great brands in the world, Pepsi, Mm -hmm. to another great brand in Toys R Us. And at the end of the day, in a quick turn, that didn't work out the way you expected. And You know, I think, as we all know, one learns from their personal successes and business successes Mm -hmm. as much as they do from things that don't work out as well. And hardly your failure, because you obviously stepped into a circumstance that was already challenged, let's say, well on its way. (laughs) And you had the, you know, misfortune or maybe in business, the good fortune to have to work through that. Can you talk about that and the learnings you took from, again, a brand that probably one of the top and most famous brands in the world, Toys R Us. And, you know, here it is at Christmas and uh, nowhere, nowhere to be found. I know. You know, it's You're funny. not the Grinch, I promise. I, <laughs> I was actually humming the tune the other day. Just the other day I was humming the tune and I thought, oh, you know, but, you know, look there. I mean, they're, they, they just opened two new stores, one in New Jersey and one in Houston. So my fingers are crossed for it to, you know, hopefully 
come back at some point. But, you know, it's a good question. It's a question I, I get asked often. And believe it or not, even a couple years later now, I, I or a year later now, I, I actually ask myself still as well. Because I did. I had this great, wonderful job. I was hanging out at in New York at PepsiCo, and life was grand. And I had been there 13 years, and they had been so good to me, and my career had kind of flourished being at Pepsi. And then I thought, you know, is there is there is there a moment in your career where you kind of you take a chance and you say, let me just kind of get out from being so comfortable and see if there's anything that else that I can do. I also looked across the landscape of marketing and I thought if I want to be a marketer of the future, a CMO of the future, a unicorn as I call it, right? This balance of what we call performance and brand marketing putting to being brought together could I get that where I was, right? And for me, I thought, you know, the combination of all those things, being able to say, can you do it? Can you lead something, Carla? Or, you know, as I think about marketing of the future. And then the third piece, I the reason I went was I thought, what a great brand and the opportunity to have a seat at the table to try to turn a business around that everybody wanted to be in business. You Absolutely. Know? Who didn't want I Toys R Us to survive? It's just, you know, so, so for me, I thought... There's not going to be a better time in my life to take that leap. And so at the t- at the height of my career, arguably at PepsiCo, I left. And I think some people thought I was crazy. Some people still think I'm crazy. And the reality is I don't I don't look back at the experience of Toys R Us with anything today, with anything but a, a lot of great learning and a lot of positivity. Of course, going through it, I can't lie, you know. I mean, that tough. was tough, right? That was tough. There's so many things that play into it when you go through something like that, not the least of which is your ego gets bruised a little bit. You know, you think about the financial well-being of your family. You think about your career. Did you make a mistake? But after you go through all of that, you know, and you have time to reflect, for me, I have learned so much. I've learned that you're way stronger than you think you are. Like just when you think that it hits rock bottom, somehow you pick yourself up and you get back in, you put your, you know, your pants back on, you get in for another day and you live to fight another fight. And there's something so powerful about knowing that you're stronger than you even think you are. That's number one. The other is I learned the kind of leader that I wanted to be. I mean, you know, I was fortunate enough that throughout the entire process at Toys R Us, even when we were in Chapter 11 bankruptcy, that a lot of my team stayed. The majority of my team stayed because we created a vision that people believed in. And so for me, it became so powerful that if you give your team something to believe in, they will stay and they will want to fight with you. And we fought. We fought hard. Um, The other thing I learned is even in your worst of times, you should be continuing to, like, don't ever give up, right? Like, continue to experiment. And we were toward, till the very end at Toys R Us, we were experimenting with new, you know, marketing uh, tools. We were experimenting with new technology. We were trying to figure out stuff in e-com. So we were fighting till the very end. So for me, I think that, you know, there's so many lessons on leadership, the kind of leader I want to be, quite frankly, the kind of leader I don't want to be. Um, You learn a lot about that. And then you just, in general, learn a lot about how you can get very, very resourceful when When you have to. When you have to. Yeah, it's so it's interesting because, again, going from PepsiCo to Toys R Us, having that experience, which it changes your life to go through failure. I Listen, I've always been a believer in my own life. The things that didn't work out well were the things I candidly learned the most from. Yeah. The stuff that happened 
that all was perfect. And of course, nothing is perfect. But, right. You know, but you things, don't know that when it's perfect, right? Yeah, exactly. You think it is perfect. Exactly. Because it's all positive. But then, you know, the opportunity presented itself for you to end up at City, and, you know, one of the also great brands. I mean, yeah. you, you, the City Never Sleeps still, you know, <laughs> still resonates for me. That's right. And here you are, and you made the comment a, a bit ago about performance and brands. Mm-hmm. So in your life at Pepsi, it was obviously a brand marketing-led mm-hmm. job. Right. You weren't in the performance and precision marketing mm-hmm. in consumer packaged goods, that's although right. that's changed today. It's changing and con- today. changing Absolutely. today. Absolutely. Toys R Us is as retail as it gets. Right. And City is retail, mm-hmm. but it's also – uh, a place where that muscle that a marketer needs in performance and precision marketing will get a lot more use yeah. than it did at, at Pepsi, yeah, for example. Absolutely. The traditional way you look at it and performance marketing and precision marketing, on the other hand, really do need to come together. Oh, I mean, we have to all sing off the same song sheet yes. at this point. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious your view of, of how that's playing out in a place where you have a wonderful vaunted brand in City and yet you have to use more performance and precision marketing tools, whether it's around credit cards mm-hmm. or whether it's around retail or whether it's around, you know, everything that would be within your purview at City. Yeah. So, I mean, you've, you're getting from my reaction to even what you said, how much I love what you're saying and that we're kind of in sync in terms of thinking about brand and performance coming together. Here's the thing that's really interesting to me and why – um, it's a fascinating conversation for me because as a even as a consumer, I grew up a consumer packaged goods marketer. I started my career at Kellogg's and then I went to PepsiCo and then I moved into retail. But but the majority of my career has been spent in consumer packaged, good, packaged goods. Interestingly enough, I would never have defined myself as only a quote unquote storyteller because I'm a quote unquote brand marketer. I've always been a commercially driven marketer. I've always um, believed and I've grown up that marketing drives growth. Like our primary, the primary goal of our function in any organization is to drive growth ultimately. What I think we're seeing now is we just have so many tools available to us and we've coined this idea of the, you know, being able to get to the bottom of the funnel and drive acquisition of credit cards or whatever it is, right? If it, whatever business you're in that we've coined that performance marketing because for some reason we believe that because we can attribute, for example, I send an email to you, Michael, and you open it and you click on it and you go purchase from it, that that is performance, right? That, right? Um, and There's a call to action. It, 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 to me, it's a tool. Right. It's absolutely a tool that, that, that fulfills whatever marketing objective you have. Your marketing objective could be to drive awareness. And if your marketing objective is to drive awareness of something, then you know what? You have a different tool. Today we coin that brand. But but to me, it's it's crazy that the two are separated Absolutely. because they have to come together. One, you may be able to measure immediately. And I would argue even then we're not very good at that, measuring immediately, particularly with multi-touch, right? Versus one, you see the impact of it a little bit longer term. The reality is as brands, we are our businesses, we're in it for the long haul. You have to do both. You have to bring brand and, and performance together. And I, I hope as an industry, we stop separating them because the reality for what I'm nervous about is with the advent of a ton of AI and as AI makes us smarter, it's going to make us as marketers potentially lazier. We're going to go, oh, you know what? AI is taking care of that. 
So they know which emoji to put in an email or they know, you know, AI, the technology knows what, you know, word works better or whatever. Well, the reality is if everybody has access to that same technology, it becomes a commodity. So the brand side, the marketing craft comes in to drive what those, what the content is and how we engage the with consumers. The differentiation. Absolutely. And that's why, to me, I think it's a farce and it's dangerous, actually, to talk about them separately. I think we have to put them together. One of the buzzy topics in, in 2019 and, you know, rolling into 2020 is purpose-driven marketing. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I'll say it here, the keynote that I'm going to do at, at the Consumer Electronics Show in January will focus on, interestingly enough, not consumer electronics, not technology, but rather purpose. Mm-hmm. And I've got the good fortune of having uh, two people join me on the stage for that conversation, Alan Jope, the CEO of Unilever, and Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, two of the people two in our world wonderful who people. represent purpose-driven one more from obviously a consumer packaged goods perspective mm-hmm. with Unilever and one from a technology perspective and computing and cloud computing and market cloud right. and Mark Benioff. So here we are, you know, looking at consumer electronics and, and consumer technology, and we're going to be talking about purpose-driven. Right. You, uh, again, in your own personal life, are such a beacon and, and such a light for purpose-driven because of what you went through with Noor, with That's your daughter, right. and, and right. came through the other side of that, and mm-hmm. thank God, so has she. Yeah. But talk about that from uh, separating the wheat from the shaft, separating like it's a buzz, let's talk about it, to actually living it yeah. in purpose-driven. Yeah, so, um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned our, our daughter, so I'm going to, you know, spend a couple seconds on that because I do think it is important. I do think sometimes when you go through a personal um, experience, it actually helps you from a business standpoint as well. So our daughter who is now 12 and happy and healthy and independent, thank, and, God. <laughs> thank God, and exactly what you would expect in a 12 year old, um, is a cancer survivor. So at four and a half years old, um, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer called Wilms tumor. And it was really interesting because at that time, both my husband and I, you know, lots of decisions that we have to make, much like we treated it actually much like a business. Um, you know, we just kind of diagnosed the issue and we got the help that we needed and we asked all the questions. And we were fortunate enough to be able to get through that time in our life. And she is absolutely fine today and healthy. But coming out of that, we we thought, gosh, how can we, we are so fortunate, how can we give back? How can we do something that provides meaning in our life beyond just, you know, the the life that we live every day. And purposefully. Purposefully, like it intentionally. And so we're very, very involved with Cycle for Survival, and we do a lot of fundraising for them, not because it's a, you know, cool thing to fundraise, but because of a couple of things. One, we know where the money goes, and we know how it benefits children like ours. Our daughter benefited directly from those funds. But more importantly, it also gives us as a family, and especially Noor, something bigger than us um, to, 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 to support. And, and she actually has grown dramatically because of it. She speaks at the events. She brings her friends in. She's driven awareness of it at her school. So she is a phenomenal 
phenomenal young lady. Literally um, a poster child. Literally a poster <laughs> child. And, you know, and it's because we have taken it up as our own purpose. And I think what works for us as a result of, of, of the experience we went through is it's authentic. And I think if you translate that to business, what we're seeing a lot is, is a lot of conversation about purpose. But consumers can sniff through that right away if you're not authentic. And so for me, what's really important as we think about purpose and we think about purpose-driven brands is you've got to go back to what are your values as a brand? And if you stick true to what your values are, then you can uncover and discover what your, what your higher-order purpose is, what you believe in, why, you're at, why you actually even exist in the world. And it doesn't always have to be to save the world or to save the planet or to, but it has to be authentically who you are as a business and it has to authentically connect with your values. And I think where brands falter right now is they go, oh, that's the new word, right? If AI was the word last year, purpose is the word this year and brands just go, all right, well, we've got to write a purpose. Well, you can't just write a purpose out of nowhere. You have to live it. You have to live it. You have to build it in your culture. You have to, you have to talk about it. You have to hold people accountable to it if they're not behaving in a way that's consistent with your purpose. So I think that, you know, as, as businesses, as brands, we really, really need to think about that. And, you know, for me, that starts with your consumer or your client, if you're in a B2B business and also your people, your own people. Um, And so how do you get an internal culture to actually live those values? And then how do you talk about it from an external perspective? So talking about that at city, they've taken a very vocal position and really making moves in the gender pay gap, Yes, you know, issue. And we've spoken about this before Carla, but you know, it's the people who don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. I've said this on this show many times, but I had an old, parable that my grandmother taught me, which was don't read people's lips, watch their feet. Uh So, you know, what are they saying versus what are they actually doing? Can you talk a bit, you know, about that from a city perspective? That's a real issue in our society today. And as you said, it's about the people, not your customers, but your your people are your customers as well. I mean, in a fashion. And, yeah. and, you know, living that as a reality. Absolutely. I am ve- actually very, very proud of the work or the stands we take as city that are authentically, um, that are authentically city. In fact, actually, when I left Toys R Us and I was figuring out what the next move was, one of the things that really attracted me to come to city was exactly this, was the fact that they had, we had taken some pretty strong stands on whether it was environmental sustainability, whether it was um, LGBTQ issues, whether it was pay equity or even, you know, gun control in some instances. And so for me, it was an organ, it it was an organization that stood very clearly with the same values I held. And initially when I first came a year ago, I had read that City had um, done this big study and that they had found that uh, women and men, that if they're at the same level, getting, you know, working the same job, that women got paid 99 cents to the dollar that men got paid. But the company said, you know what, that's not good enough. It's got to be equal. Even 99 cents to a dollar is not equal. So we're going to, we're equal pay for equal work and we're going to figure out how to make sure that we adjust that in people's salaries and to this day still do that. Great. But they didn't stop there. Then when I first came to the organization, there was a lot of conversation around, hold on, these numbers are great, equal pay for equal work, but let's look at the average numbers, the median numbers. And on average, what we were seeing is that women were getting paid 29% less 
than men on average. What that meant is that there's a representation issue. There are not enough women in senior level positions. And so rather than kind of rest on our laurels and say, look, we published this great information that said equal pay for equal work and we're going to fix it. We're almost, you know, one to one. We said, no, we actually have a bigger issue. And these are the real raw numbers. So not only did we keep it internal, we published it externally. And I will tell you that the entire year, we did that in January of 2019, the entire year, no one has followed us, unfortunately, except for Starbucks last week announced their numbers. And so, which is, which is wonderful. But what it has allowed us to do is actually, you know, be accountable. So we said, here are our issues and here is a target. In three years, we're going to try to accomplish this number. And we've held ourselves accountable. And we believe that talking about it publicly holds ourselves accountable to it. And we've done a lot of work around it. You know, our CEO, is it starts at the top of the organization. Mike Corbett is a wonderful, wonderful man who, you know, at Davos last year came out and said, you know, our numbers kind of suck. Like, right. they're not great. And, and that has become kind of a rallying cry for us to go out there and hopefully encourage others to do the same. Everyone knows their numbers probably, right? Um, you know, even if they don't want to publish them publicly, that's fine. But hopefully what we're doing is creating a movement. About a month and a half ago for International Day of the Girl, we said, why don't we take it a step further? Why don't we just, we're, we're talking about it a lot publicly, but why don't we create a campaign around it to show that we really, really believe that what we're saying is 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 the right thing to do? And we did that, and we have received a tremendous amount of, on International Day of the Girl, we launched it, and um, we've received a tremendous amount of outpouring from consumers out in the world, um, from our employees, so importantly. And then the most important, I would say, is actually from prospective employees, people who literally are coming in and saying, I deliberately have gone to the city website to actually see if there are jobs open because I hear you guys are committed to pay equity. I mean, that's just, you know, it just warms my heart that not only have we taken something that we that we really, really believe in and we've, you know, taken it through not just internally, we've talked about it externally, people are hearing about it, and we're now creating this movement where it's coming back to pay for us in the way that people want to come work at City. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. Well, Carla, on that note, um, I really want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich. 